Thank you. And when we hear a fresh voice read the scripture, it was, I was tearing up as I listened to you read that scripture. So thanks for reading for us this morning. That was very impactful. That's a, a psalm that I commend to you for your meditation in this, uh, in this next week. And I'll say more about that uh, near the end, but that's something that um, there's a warm personal appeal to God in, uh, from David in that psalm. And I think it puts into some really good words things that we could carry with us throughout this week. Well, as you know, we've been in this series on family matters, and today we turn our attention to singleness. What about singleness? Nita and I have several uh, long-term friends who are single. One of them is a woman that I'll call Grace, who's now in her 80s. Grace hoped to be married early in her life. She wanted to be married. She was in a relationship that uh, fell through, and she has never married. But she gathered a group of single friends around her. She worked full-time throughout her life, but she filled the rest of her time with volunteering and with uh, outings with her friends. She's also joined our family vacations for more than 30 years and has become like a fifth grandparent to our children. And we, um, she, she's warm and gracious. She's a little quirky, um, but that's part of what makes her special. She remembers every birthday. She's at all of the family ceremonies. And as I said, she's become a kind of a fifth grandparent to our children. And Nita and I have attempted to honor her place in our lives and in our families, but truthfully, her schedule is as busy as ours is, and so sometimes we have trouble lining up our schedules to make time to see her as often as we'd like. I have another friend who's a a single woman who also wanted to be married, um, but she is someone who's much more prickly than Grace is. Uh, She's easily offended and lives with a kind of an angry edge. She sees herself as a mature Christian and spends a lot of time in the Bible and praying, but she's angry that God hasn't given her what she wanted from God. And that anger sort of is a tinge over all of her life. And uh, friends sort of seem to kind of come and go from her life, I think because of how difficult it sometimes is to get along with her for for a long period of time. I have another friend, Bill, who's part of an international brotherhood of men who've committed to living single for God, who've committed to remaining single so that they can focus their energies, their work energies, their life energies on serving God and on serving the church. Bill was uh, connected to this group initially in college when they offered some intensive discipleship training over the summer, and he signed up for that because he wanted to Uh, focus on his kind of beyond retreat all summer, focusing on his relationship with God. And eventually that drew him into a period of exploring the possibility of joining these brothers, this brotherhood. So for a a period, I think it was about seven years of testing and discerning, or after that period of seven years, he made a, a vow to remain single for his life so that he could focus on serving the Lord in the church. And since that time, he has lived and worked in the United States in Mexico and Costa Rica, in the Philippines and Northern Ireland, serving God's people in all of those places. Well, I found out this week as I was preparing these comments that it's not surprising that I know quite a number of single people because about 40% of the adults in the United States are single. 40% of people over 18 in the U.S. are single, which means that just a little more than half are married. And of those who are single, 64% of them have never married, 23% are divorced, and 13% are widowed. I just thought it was interesting that the proportion is what it is. I would have thought the proportion married was higher, 
But it also strikes me that it's interesting that so much of church life and so much of our society is shaped around families and children since only a little more than half of us adults are married. I found some really helpful material this week in an article by a woman named Christina Cleveland, a Christian ministry leader who is single. She says that it seems odd to her that a church that was founded by a single guy, by Jesus, has so systematically overlooked single people. And it's something I've been thinking about all week long. One of the things I want to say clearly this morning to you as we think about this together is that singleness is not a problem to be solved. It's not a a disease to be cured. Sometimes I think people talk about it that way. Also, those of us who are married need to realize that being single, especially if you think about the different categories that I listed for you, being never married or divorced or widowed, are all different from each other. And within those categories, people are different from each other. So the journey of being single is a complex journey. And if if you're somebody like me who was married before age 25 and you're still married to your first spouse, you probably know very little of what it means or what it's like to be a single adult in our society. So I just think that's something that's helpful for us to, to bear in mind. Christina Cleveland also says that sometimes people think of being single is like being in the junior varsity, whereas marriage is like, like the varsity team. And where you move from the junior varsity, or you aspire to move from junior varsity to varsity. But she says, married people sometimes mistakenly believe that they know something about singleness when in, when in fact they don't. She said, singleness is a, isn't a junior varsity version of marriage. It's an entirely different sport. And if you haven't played it, you don't know anything about it. You haven't mastered it. So I think that's just helpful for us to hear, those of us who are married and uh, helps us to humble ourselves and become listeners and learners. Another woman says, we are all hardwired for relationship, but we are often lacking that in our church communities. We're just not countercultural enough when it comes to this. Church can be a very lonely place sometimes for a single person. Several years ago, I asked another single friend I'll call Theo about his experience as a single man in his mid-30s who was a regular churchgoer, a volunteer, someone who was in a small group. And interestingly enough, he said in the email that he sent back to me, he said, my experience of this is not really worse in the church than it is in the broader culture. But he said, I do struggle with being single. I struggle with feeling like an afterthought with wondering how I fit into God's plan. I struggle with the difficulty of fitting into a couple's world because often it means that my friends move on and get married and I don't see them anymore. So I'm always needing to make new friends. It's also awkward at work banquets to be sure you sit at the table with the odd number of seats so you don't mess up the seating for everyone else. It feels awkward not getting invited to things because the event will only be married couples and children who will be there. And I sometimes end up wondering if God is providing for everyone but me. I just thought that was a really, this is a a mature, wise uh, person, and I just was struck by his heartfelt story of his experience. My goal this morning is to offer both a word of hope and a word of challenge to all of us, whether you're married, whether you're single, or whether you're single again after having been married. I want to offer some reflections from the Scriptures, but also some just some practical um, guidelines or, or tips that I think, or suggestions that I think may be helpful to us, both in the area of hope and also as a word of challenge. I also think it's worth remembering for those of us who are currently married that many of us will be single again someday, 
for, for a variety of reasons, but many of us will be single again someday. And so I think that's something for us to be aware of and be prepared for. Two things I want to point out for you before we move into the specifics. One is that the, the, the greatest and wisest, most fully human being who ever lived never married. Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus, was never married. And yet we look to Him, all of us do, as the model of what it means to be a human being, to be great, to be wise, to be fully surrendered to God, to be fully human to be all of who God intended for human beings to be. Another thing to keep in mind is that as we've been looking at this series on family matters, despite its imperfections, family is one of the main images that Jesus offers us for what it's like to be part of the, of the people of God. I almost said the family of God. The people of God. It's a, f- a very familiar image that we have. Even, and so despite its imperfections, and we know that it's imperfect and its flaws, Family, being part of the family of God, is still one of the main images that Jesus offers us for what it's like to be part of the people of God. Pastor Bruxy Cavey points out that in Genesis, the very first thing that God says to Adam, and you can look this up in Genesis, the very first command that he gives to Adam is he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's the very first thing he says to him. So, God sets marriage and raising children up as normative for his people, for those who follow him. And in fact, throughout the centuries, the Jewish tradition has treated this as a a primary command from God and doesn't really have much of a category for singleness, for remaining single. And in fact, the way it's written about, uh, it's treated as a command of God so that anyone who fails to do that is is seen to be living in disobedience to a command from God. If you're not married and if you're not raising children, that's looked down on. In Old Testament times, it talks about, especially in the law, it talks about eunuchs. We read about this last week in the passage from Matthew 19. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Eunuchs are people who are physically unable to bear children. And in the Old Testament, because of this command from God, they were seen as living examples of people who, even though they, couldn't, they had no uh, say in the matter themselves, they were seen to be living in disobedience to God's commands. They were looked down on and seen as, as far removed from God. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 23, it says that a eunuch may not join in the assembly of God's people, in the assembly of worshipers. But one of the many things, one of the many uh, items of good news that Jesus brings is that he totally turns that framework on its head when we come to Jesus. Last week, we read from Matthew 19 where he talks about divorce and marriage, and at the end, there was a verse that we read, verse 12, that says, this is Jesus responding to a question about divorce and marriage. He says, there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and those, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, Jesus is saying there is a place of value and honor in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, for people who are single, for any reason. And he's, what he's doing is, as before, where um, being married and raising children was, listed, was raised up as normative and honorable, here Jesus is raising singleness as honorable as well. And as Bruxy Cavey says, it's just two different versions of awesome. It's just two different wonderful ways to live your life. And, and there, Jesus puts them on the same par. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my father is my brother, my sister, 
and my mother. It gives us a whole new way of thinking about family and a whole new way of thinking about singleness. And in fact, if you think about what he says about eunuchs there in uh, Matthew 19, he actually uses eunuchs as a kind of a parable, as an image, a, a beautiful picture of what it means for all of us to be part of God's family or part of God's kingdom. You have to remember that Jesus lived centuries and centuries before there was any such thing as a retirement plan or pension funds, retirement funds or pension plans. Your retirement plan in those days was to have children, was to have children, and the more you had, the more assured you were that you would be well cared for in your old age. Eunuchs, however, could not have children, and so they were sort of boxed out of that approach to retirement. Thankfully, many of them were members of uh, servants of royal households, and so what that meant, though, was that in joining the royal household, they gave up their backup plans, their security plans, their safety net, you might say. They gave their lives to that earthly kingdom, and in return, many of them were cared for in their old age as part of the royal family. But I think what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 19 is that that's actually a beautiful picture for all of us of what it means for us to come into the kingdom of heaven. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we, come, when we become members of His kingdom, we too give up our backup plans. We give up our security in other sources, our safety net in other places. We give up our lives and we join His family. We join the kingdom of heaven. We become members of His family and whoever does the will of God is now our brother, our sister, our mother, our father, who share in this life of family together. People who are married and who have children, sometimes we're more easily confused about this because we have literal spouses, we have literal children. But people who are single get this because they live it out in their daily lives. Paul echoes and reinforces this thinking in 1 Corinthians 7 when he writes to the people in Corinth. He says, I would like you to be free from concern, An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So his focus is on the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. A married man, however, is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Not that this is a bad thing, this is how marriage works, but Paul says the downside is that your interests are divided. Similarly, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the affairs about the Lord's affairs, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And then the last verse is one that I think stands out to us and is uh, for our focus. I'm saying this, he says, for your own good, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. What we're all called to to live our lives in undivided devotion to the Lord. And actually, single people, what he says, what Paul is saying is that single people actually have an advantage here because they don't have to be concerned about what he calls the affairs of the world, like pleasing a spouse, like caring for children. And I think all Paul is saying here is don't give up on that too quickly. Realize that there's value in remaining single. Again, echoing what Jesus said, elevating singleness to the same level of honor and respect in the kingdom of heaven as previously was given to people who were married and have children. Jesus also gives us a whole new way to think about having babies, having children. He doesn't say be fruitful and multiply physically, but he does say go and make disciples, go and make spiritual children, 
You don't need to be married to do that. It's interesting that in the New Testament, a lot of the authors who write the letters and the books in the New Testament refer to the people who've come to faith in Christ under their ministry and under their preaching as my children. They refer to them as my children. So they they understand that they're in the process of extending the kingdom by having spiritual babies, by having and making disciples, by going and making disciples. So that leads me to three things I want to say specifically to people who are single or single again. I have three things I want to say to people who are married as well, but I'll get to that in just a minute. Three things I want to say to people here who are single or single again. The first is, you are a person of promise, of ability, of talent, of skill who can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. And you should never doubt that simply because you're single in a world that largely, in a church perhaps, that caters largely to people who are married. Your singleness provides you with an opportunity to focus on your relationship with God and on your service to Him. And there can be a kind of purity and focus to your devotion that maybe is, is not uh, quite the same for people who are married. So my urging here to you is not to put your life on hold, not to put your growth on hold, not to put your service for God on hold until you can be married. As Paul has just said in 1 Corinthians 7, marriage is something that you can do, but it's not in any way necessary for you to flourish nor to please God. One author puts it even more strongly. He says, I have no right to marry unless I have honestly faced the question of the impact marriage will have on my Christian life and service. In other words, will being married, will getting married help me in what God, help me move further along in what God has called me to do, or will it interfere in any way? That's something that we should be thinking about. Second thing I wanted to say specifically to people who are single is that marriage is also not what will make you a complete person. Marriage is not what will make you a complete person. You are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. No other human being will make you a whole person. I think sometimes we imagine that, that, that we need a marriage partner in order to be complete. But it's in giving your life in service to God, surrendering your life to Him, that you will find fulfillment. And that's true for you whether or not you're married or single, regardless of your, your, your marital status. It's in serving God, surrendering your life to Him, that you're going to find the fulfillment and the purpose and joy that you long for. Jesus himself wants to be your fulfillment, your consolation when you're lonely, your strength and your champion, whether you're married or whether you're single. I just remind you again that the greatest and wisest and most fully human being who ever lived never married. So marriage cannot possibly be essential to human life and flourishing, nor to spiritual life and flourishing. Jesus is our model of what it looks like to do that as a single person. And the third thing I want to say is actually probably to all of us here, marriage is not God's ultimate will for your life. Marriage is not God's ultimate will for your life. His ultimate will for your life and for mine is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become more and more like Jesus. That's His ultimate will for us. He cares about that far more than He cares about whether or not you're married or where, where you live or what kind of work you do or whom you choose to marry. 
I realize these three things are probably not great consolation if you're experiencing a lot of pain coming out of a divorce or coming out of a widow, being widowed. I think there are, there are, there's more to be said along those lines, but I think that, I think that um, dealing with that grief and with that pain is, is a reality and is part of the task of someone who is single again. But I hope that at some point you would get to the place where you can, along with other people who've never married, can look at this season of your life as a season of your life uh, f- for what it is and to make the most of the season of life even if you hope to marry or even if you hope to marry again. My urging to you if you are single is to make the most of this season of life and to pay attention to the gifts that it offers, that you not be overwhelmed by the challenges of that season of life, of this season of life, but that you also be paying attention to the gifts that it provides, that you can focus on health and growth as well and enriching your journey with God. If you're married... I urge you to join our single brothers and sisters in embracing Jesus' perspective on singleness. I urge you to embrace that perspective too, to be kingdom-minded in how you think about all of your family relationships, all the relationships of everyone around you, including the single people, and to not let the world press you into its mold either on this question. And I have three suggestions I want to make to an offer I want to that I want to offer to people who are married this morning as well. They come from a list that's provided by Christina Cleveland that I mentioned earlier. I think these are just really helpful things for us to keep in mind. First of all, I urge you to become a champion of the reality that I've just been talking about, that being married has nothing to do with godliness or maturity. You may have been around other people, Christians or otherwise, who treat singleness as a, I don't know, like a sign of immaturity, somebody who hasn't uh, fully matured or something like that. Many people, many single people often feel that they're automatically stereotyped as spiritually mature or morally dangerous or unsuitable for leadership in the church or otherwise simply because they're single. And that should not be because married people haven't arrived in some way that single people haven't. It's not that Married people are even on track in some way that a single person is not. So I urge you, if you're here this morning and you're married, to become a champion of the single people in your lives, of their godliness, of their maturity. Cleveland also points out something I said last week about uh, the way that our marriages form us. I talked about God giving us relationships for our joy and for our formation. And I talked about the ways that God uses uh, our, married, our, our experiences as married people to form us. And what she says is that God uses singleness in the same way. The joys and the challenges of being single, if we will let him, God will use those to shape us in character. What she says is, when I meet another single woman, another single Christian woman in her 30s like I am, I automatically envision how God has used her singleness to teach her wisdom, selflessness, self-control, joy, patience, and faith, because that's what God has done in my own life. A a, a really strong vision there for how God uses singleness to form us as disciples. I think among us, people who have chosen to live single or people who are making the most of being single should be honored as models to us of what it looks like to be completely devoted to the Lord Jesus. Second thing for married people is simply to realize that if you're married, you're, a privileged, you're in a privileged class. 
You heard what I read earlier from my friend Theo about his experience of being single in a largely uh, a world that's largely carried to marry people. And sadly, I want to say that often happens in the church as well. Uh, Cleveland said that she did a, a search on Amazon to look up the number of books on cr- Christian singleness or Christian books written for singles. And she said that what she discovered is that there were 298 Christian books on marriage for every one book she could find on following the Lord as a single person. And for those of you who aren't real sharp with math, that means she found that there were 300 times more books written about marriage as Christians than there was about being uh, following Christ as single, which is just seems striking given that what I told you earlier, that 45% of adults are single. So those ratios don't match very well. We have a lot more resources available to us if we're married. Also, she says, just for getting married, family and friends often buy married people marrying people, expensive gifts like KitchenAid mixers and other things like that, which she says is a mark of privilege if there ever was one, which kind of made me smile. But she points out that oftentimes we're privileged by resources, by the ceremonies and the gifts that shape our lives. Third thing I want to say to married people is find ways to celebrate single people, to celebrate them and to celebrate with them. We know that if we get married, if you have a baby, often we have a shower to honor someone going through those, those life milestones, and that's a great thing. But we should also recognize that uh, especially older singles may never be celebrated with that kind, of, that kind of fanfare, those kind of gifts. And yet God is doing amazing things, and God is actively at work in their lives and in their journeys as well. So let's find ways to celebrate and walk with people, no matter who they are and what their life stage is. Find reasons to throw parties for the single people in your lives that you're, that you're close to. And as Cleveland says, feel free to buy them expensive gifts as well because even they appreciate KitchenAid mixers. Of course, this assumes that you are walking closely with, that you're building relationship with, that you know single people well enough to do these kind of things, that you're investing time and energy into the lives of single people. I want to urge you to go out of your way to include single people in your lives, realizing that they're often overlooked and are conscious about being left out. One of the things that stood out to me this week as I thought about our church specifically is how proud I am of Mount Joy Mennonite Church and the ways that I think we have not seen being single as a barrier to leadership nor of service in our, in our congregation. And I feel like I have permission to say I'm proud of us because this was in place when I got here 10 years ago. This is not something I created. It's something that has been woven into the fabric of our congregation since well before I was here. All I had to do was, uh, was to celebrate it and to keep it going. But I just realized as I sat, I sat and I thought of all the different leadership and service roles that single people have filled in our congregation just in the time that I've been here. We have had a, a single pastor. Josh Kiefer was a pastor here uh, when I first came. We've had preachers who are single. Many preachers have been where I am standing now today to preach God's Word to us. Uh, Sunday school teachers of adults and children, pioneer club teachers who've been single. We've had members of our ministry team who are single. Uh, Lauren Swigert is on our ministry team right now. She's getting married, so she's going to not be single for long, but she has been. Also, Deanna Greger was on our ministry team. Andrew Benner was on our ministry team. Josh was on our ministry team before that. We've had single people on our church board. Um, our worship, many of our worship leaders have been single, our musicians, um, people on our tech team, our youth advisors. We've had single people as youth advisors. Single people on our planning teams for events, things like our Christmas feasts, 
uh, like our summer picnic, our events for children, and on our decision-making teams, like our affiliation process team from two or three years ago, our gifts discernment committee, our stewardship team, all of them have included single people. And I have just never sensed, I, I know I'm married, but I've never sensed that that in, is, is any, in any way seen as a barrier to leadership and service in our congregation. My friend Theo that I, I mentioned before said in another part of the email in which he responded to me, he said, I must say I've been very grateful that Mount Joy Mennonite Church hasn't stressed marriage. Theo attended here for a time. I must say I've been very grateful that MJMC hasn't stressed marriage as being superior or like it's God's plan. Off the top of my head, I can't recall a single sermon that even suggested anything like that. It would be difficult to attend a church where those things are stressed and emphasized. And he said, I'm also very grateful for the ways I've been able to serve or been welcomed to serve at our church. So let's keep that up. Let's continue to be marked by that and known for that. But I want to end with some two, a very specific assignment for you if you're married and a very specific assignment for you if you're single and you're listening this morning. If you are married, I want to invite you, to urge you to share a meal and meaningful conversation with a single adult in your life. I don't want you to approach this like a project. I don't want it to be weird and creepy. Um, but, but invite someone to share a meal with you where you ask questions and where you listen. You're listening to learn, realizing that you probably know very little about what it's like, what that journey is like, as I said, especially if you've been married a long time. But the goal is to encourage them, to bless them, to listen to them. Do not assume you understand their experience, and do not assume that they're incomplete without marriage. But befriend them, invite them to share a meal with you. And hopefully beyond that, then that can develop into walking with them truly as a brother, as a sister, as a mother, or a father, or maybe just as a faithful friend to a single adult. If you're not married, if you're single or you're single again, I want to invite you this week to spend at least, I know Nita gave you a listening assignment, I'm going to give you another, uh, to spend at least 20 minutes sometime this week listing the gifts of this season of life for you. I know sometimes you may feel like there are uh, difficulties, particularly difficulties in this season of life, but I want to invite you to think about the gifts of this season of life, things that this season of life makes possible for you that wouldn't be true in the same way if you were married. As a way to focus on gratitude and the strengths and the opportunities that you have in this season of life. And then tell someone what you came up with as a way to uh, cement those uh, insights into your thinking and to share them with another person. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I think for all of us, I would invite us to think of, use Psalm 86 this way, in a meditative way this week, what uh, Kenzie and Gibson read for us at the beginning. It's a wonderfully warm and personal psalm about David's devotion to God, which as I said is what we're all called to regardless of what our station is in life and what our status. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have drawn each of us into a place of honor in the family of God, regardless of what our marital status is, regardless of many other things about us, regardless of what our backgrounds have been and how far away from you we've been and all of those things as well. But this morning, I particularly thank you that you have embraced singleness as an honorable status of life, season of life. And the fact that you yourself were single provides us with a model of what that can look like. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us 
those of us who are married to be uh, thoughtful and aware, those of us who are single to be tuned into what what you're asking us to, that we're all taking full advantage of the strengths and the gifts of the season of life that we're in. Lord, we invite you to continue your work among us and within us, Holy Spirit, by your grace and power. In Jesus' name, amen.